Hello, hello. Gentlemen, the big three is back again. Yeah. <laughs> well, Michael, Steve, uh, welcome uh, to uh, the Game of Life Mentoring Podcast and Community Conversation. Uh, we're, we're streaming live on YouTube right now. And for the benefit of, of our audience, we want to make sure everybody understands uh, who's with me today. Uh, two very, very uh, good brothers, close friends. Uh, we have Mr. Steve Stowe, Vice President, Executive Director of the Miami Heat Charitable Fund, and Mr. Michael McCullough, uh, Executive Vice President, Chief Marketing Officer. Did I get those titles right, gentlemen? You guys got like like 10 jobs. Want to make sure everybody's good. Sounds good. <laughs> when they let you write your own title, that's what you get. That That's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, so w- welcome, gentlemen, uh, and uh, a lot to discuss today. Uh, and as we continue... Uh, to just deal with the reality uh, of the pandemic, the reality, as I call it, COVID-19 and racism 2020. Uh, This is a mentoring podcast, so uh, we don't get into, uh, uh, you know, politics and all of that. We just deal with humanity, and we deal straight up as it relates to uh, how we can encourage our youth, encourage our families, make Miami a better place where everybody uh, feels safe, uh, and we build that mutual trust and respect. So I want to just jump in and first of all say congratulations. I mean, wow. Uh, Eastern Conference champions, uh, the Miami Heat. Oh, what a season. And gentlemen, I, and again, everybody competes to win, but uh, exceeding expectations, teamwork, sportsmanship, grit, resilience. How would you guys sum up the season that we just that just ended? Well, I'll just jump in real quick, Steve. You know, I, I thought it was, it was, it was a fantastic year on the court. Obviously, the success that we had as a team, and and what you saw as the bonding and the brotherhood, that uh, and and the heat culture that you always hear about, it was on full display, uh, and there in the bubble, and you you just saw what it what it meant to be a Heat player and what it means to be a Heat fan. The most surreal thing was obviously not being able to enjoy it in the building at all. Um, you know, watching all these games on television and and texting and, and uh, having all these group chats going on at the same time. Not quite the same experience as sitting with 20,000 people, but uh, we'll, we'll take the result. It, it, it was a fantastic year. Absolutely. Steve, how would you sum up the season from your vantage point? No, absolutely. I mean, from starting training camp in West Palm Beach, 12 months before the NBA finals was, was surreal as well. Um, you know, like Michael said, the brotherhood that this team had and, um, seeing players grow over the course of the year. It was not your typical NBA season, but at the same time for me personally, and I know for Michael, it was a season like we'll never forget. Um, it was special. We've been around three NBA championships, which are all just incredible experiences, but this one is the goosebumps year. You know, this, this, this one was the one that just, just kept going and, I know from Michael's standpoint, there, it never stopped, you know, from the second that first ball tipped and even from the pause that happened, you know, on March 11th, it, it, it was an intense year. And I think the fans really saw what we knew all along that this team could compete. This team's going to compete. And that's why we're so excited because we're starting up again and we get to put a product on the court that, that people got to see. And, and, and these players are, are ready to, to, to do more than what we did last year. When you think about uh, an intense year, and let's jump right in, gentlemen, because what I appreciate about both of you 
is you're real, uh, you're raw, but you're always so authentic uh, with it. 2020, uh, certainly we all understand the, the necessity of adhering to protocols and all that as it relates to COVID-19, but relationships, stress, intensity, uh, death, racism. When you all saw the George Floyd incident, where were you and how did it resonate with you personally and professionally? Let's start with you, Michael. Uh, you know, you're, you're right, Gail. This, this, this is a year unlike any other. And I think that that George Floyd moment will, will forever kind of go down in, as something in our country's history that as a, as a flashpoint uh, and as a, as a moment um, that you, you won't ever kind of forget watching that, that video. And for me, on a personal level, I think for a lot of African-American men, um, you, you kind of saw yourself. You saw, you saw yourself there on that ground, or you, you, might, have seen, you might have seen your son there on the ground. Um, and you know, I think most African-American men you know, probably have a story of their own uh, about you know, an, an unfavorable interaction, maybe with law enforcement at some point in their life, and you kind of flash back onto that. Um, and, and you, you realize maybe that you weren't that far away from, from that. Um, so it, it, it was, it was a moment that, you know, I, I was in here in my apartment. I'll, I'll never forget it. Um, and just kind of just the raw pit that's in your stomach. Um, when you see something like that, and I, I, I don't think it's left. I think that, that, that pit is still there. And I think that's what motivates a lot of people who saw that, that footage and, and, Maybe previously to seeing something like that, you, you might have heard about those kinds of interactions, but you didn't really know. And I think it just opened a lot of people's eyes. And that's why it was so visceral, I think, around the country, around the world, actually, because you, you actually saw it happening. Mm, no denying what, we, what everybody could see. Uh, no hearsay, no political spin, uh, just real and raw hatred. Uh, abuse and quite frankly murder unfortunately steve how did it resonate with you brother yeah you know i I saw it uh i think someone posted the video somewhere and i saw it on my phone in my house before really broke the news so i almost didn't even believe that it happened you know i thought like i was watching it and watching it and it just went on and on it still hurts me to 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 even visualize it and and like michael said to know that that's a human being and 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 I know that there's a better way, you know. And just watching it hurt, talking about it hurt, not knowing his name at the time hurt, you know. And these are things that um, little did we know at the time. It's just the, the 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 start of what we've known for so long too. And and that's what's so painful is that so many uh, instances similar to that have been occurring and and uh, things like that happen in our society on all different levels and and that one really hurt and 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 I, I said to myself what what can we do and how can we help and I don't think anyone had answers that that nobody did I mean it was just that you just wanted it to stop you watching the video you wanted it to stop and you just didn't want it to go where you thought it was going to go so um, Look, all of us have families. If, if we don't have kids, you know, we know so many people with families. And, and that, like Michael said, you just think of your kids, you think of his family, you think of the officer's family, you just think of so many people 
affected by by a by an action and and that's what i think what what i realized the most is how we're in a time where people view things and make opinions and jump to conclusions so fast and 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 it's up to us as as a society to be better um i mean we have a great platform at the miami heat thanks to michael mccullough because of what he he puts out there but it's all of us it's about all of us being no matter what you do and and i think that's what that was for me is is having people own own up to what they are and who they are and maybe who they haven't been and and try and get better and and figure out a way how to evolve into being a better person well gentlemen as a father um and i I met with my kids and lump in my throat and talk to them if they about the you know the so-called the talk uh and i'm not talking about the birds and the bees uh, sadly, uh, in just about every black family, you've had the talk. If you ever come into contact with law enforcement and things go sour, here's what you do, where your hands are. Uh, and, and I took it to another level. I said, let's, if I lay on the floor and somebody's on, you got a, your knee on your neck, here's what you do to stay alive. I mean, my goodness. I mean, it cut deeply. Uh, and so as we deal with that type of uh, raw footage and the reality in our own homes. Uh, all of us are fathers and nobody, no child, no human being should ever be subjected to something like that. But then we look at the business reality in the midst of a global pandemic, seeing something worldwide, as you said, Michael and Steve, now your, your business, gentlemen, the National Basketball Association of Miami Heat uh, as you deal with this global pandemic, when the league shut down due to the pandemic, how do you respond as a brand uh, from a philanthropic as well as marketing standpoint? Let's start with you, Steve. Well, obviously, you know, when that first happened and, and we had a statement and, and words uh, mean a lot, it was bigger than a statement. It was bigger than, than what you can say. It was about what can we do to formulate action and I think all of us um, pride ourselves in working here at the team. Um, no matter what your occupation, what your role is, we're all the same. I mean, like you said, titles have words. If a lot of words, not a lot of words, commas, you know, things. We're all the same. And I think that's what this uh, taught everybody at our organization is we're in this together. We're in this uh, together with our community. And we're in this together with our players and how ironic the first time that, that we really have felt more together than ever, we can't be together and we can't see each other and we can't uh, touch each other. Or we can't have the casual, uh, you know, laugh or casual touch point. So I think that's, that's what it did. It really um, uh, made everybody feel a certain way. Uh, and, and I think our feelings, we, we didn't even know what to feel. And I'll, I'll let Michael touch upon it a little bit more is just, so we, we came together as an organization, like we never have. And I think that that moment really changed us forever. And I think, um, the heat have always been, uh, you know, leaving these, our, our goals to leave these footprints in this community. But I think now everybody felt more, uh, powerful with those footprints that we want to leave here. Mm. Michael? You know, Steve, Steve hit the nail on the head when he talked about action. You know, there, there, there were a lot of words being thrown around for a lot of different reasons. And again, when you go back to the beginning of the pandemic, you know, the first thing that we had to try to do was take care of those part-time employees who 
weren't going to be able to have those paychecks because the arena wasn't going to be open. And, you know, the, you know, re the reality of what it meant from, you know, and Gail, you, uh, Big Brothers Big Sisters has been doing food deliveries and food pickups. There are life realities here that, you know, pandemic, George Floyd, you know, all these things are happening all at once. And you can't forget about the fact that, you know, somebody can't put food on the table. So, you know, we wanted to do that. And, and then we wanted to take some steps where we could have some concrete action. But one of the things that I'll, we pride ourselves on is it's, you don't always have to be first. And, and there's, there is no right. You have to do what's right for your, you and your organization. And so we were never trying to hurry, 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 hurry and be first because that's when you, you either don't think it all the way through or you make a mistake. We just wanted to take the right steps. Um, and so we, we took our time, we were, we were very thorough, we were diligent, and we, we, we made a pledge about what we were going to do, who we we're going to support, and how we were going to get involved. And, and, you know, it was a very forward-facing pledge. It featured, you know, a video that Mickey Harrison, Eric Spolstra, Nick Spolstra, uh, I mean, excuse me, Nick Harrison, you know, uh, everybody at the executive level was in, but we also had regular rank-and-file heat employees in that video. And that was important to me. And, and one thing that people kind of don't see that's not forward facing is how we're engaging with our staff. You know, we have almost 400 people as a full time staff who represent South Florida. We look like South Florida, we sound like South Florida, and there are a lot of difference in opinions and feelings and thoughts amongst these people. And we had to make sure that everybody understood the path that we were going to go down. And we knew, just like on the outside, we were not going to be, uh, everything that we did wasn't going to be uh, appreciated by everybody. We were going to turn some people off. We knew that was going to happen in our own building, within our own four walls. And we needed to make sure everybody understood, like, guys, this is what we're going to do. This is why we're doing it. And, you know, we're going to keep talking to you every step of the way because we want you to be engaged. But we've made a pledge as an organization, and this is what we're going to be about. Wow. The strength of a brand, uh, the courage of a brand, the intentionality of a brand. When so many people, and I, I couldn't have you on a show, McCullough, and not get some, give people, uh, our audience, some, some good business advice, because you're a marketing machine. Uh, and so, so many people have to reinvent themselves as a result of a pandemic. And so, if one door closes or due to just unfortunately uh, the supply and demand, uh, how do you, how does someone increase? And you know, I've got not only staff tuning in, bigs tuning in, parents, uh, and littles. How does someone increase their personal brand, Michael, when they have to reinvent themselves due to a pandemic? Well, well first you have to, this is, it's a great opportunity to do to find out who you really are, right? Like, where's your grounding? You know, where, where do you stand on things? Like, can, can you look at what happened in that video? And like, what's your reaction? And, and, you know, maybe your reaction isn't the same as everyone else's. And you got to think about what that says about who you are, mm -hmm. because I, I don't know how many people can look at that video and react other than with like outrage and, and, and sadness. But clearly, <laughs> there are a lot of people who didn't react that way um, who, or who, who maybe felt that way, um, but didn't have those, those outward um, actions. And so I think when, you, when you're faced with like a, a, a crisis, you have to find out about your own internal grounding first. 
And then once you you kind of make sure that you, you know where you stand, if it's on this issue or that issue, like you, you have to make sure that you, you, you're not wavering. There's always room for listening to opinion and talking to people who differ from the way that you think. That necessarily isn't necessarily swaying you so much as you're understanding others' points of view, you know? But you have your point of grounding and sometimes it's not necessarily about right and wrong or um, my point is better than your point. Um, you have to know about kind of who you are and these moments present themselves as an opportunity for you to find out who you are as an individual. I'm like, a, I'm in the JV team in terms of marketing, but I will say this to you brothers. Uh, I do know that a, mar a brand gets its strength from repetition. And if you know who you are, to your point, Michael, uh, then stay consistent. Don't just go with the, the, the wind, if you will. One day you, okay, I don't like that. Oh, I just looked at a video on YouTube or whatever, and now I've changed my viewpoint. Nothing wrong with changing your mind, but know who you are. I can't stress that enough uh, to our littles and to adults. Uh, be consistent. Know who you are because you will be exposed uh, when, when challenges come through. It's not, you know the strength of something in the midst of a storm. Not on a nice, bright, sunny day when everything is good. And so when the challenges of life, the trials of life come up, uh, you will know how strong uh, you are. So uh, please, all the littles, take that to heart. Even the bigs, be consistent so that people know exactly where you stand, who you are. You're entitled to your own opinion. We get that. But at the end of the day, uh, our kids are watching. And our kids, gentlemen, not only are our own, but all these kids here in South Florida, they're watching. And our kids, and guess what? It doesn't take long for a child to say, gotcha. I know exactly what I'm dealing with. Don't, don't underestimate our kids uh, in terms of reading adults. I think we as adults sometimes underestimate kids thinking, okay, I, got, I can pull the wool over their eyes. No, sir, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of kids, I have taken travel teams up to Orlando uh, and uh, vans, car, you know, convoys with parents, uh, pre-COVID, of course, uh, to the Orlando Sports Complex, been in the various buildings for games. I cannot imagine what it's like to have the best players in the world walking around with their headphones on, backpacks, ice cream cones, whatever. I mean, to be a fly on the wall, to say, oh yeah, there's, uh, there's that guy and there's that guy. And we played tonight at six. What was it like in the bubble for executives and players, and keep in mind, even your Heat staff, that whether they were in the bubble or communicating and making sure that you dot your I's and cross your T's. Steve, what was it like? Um, well, I was fortunate. I had a chance to go to the outer bubble um, for the NBA Finals, right, right at the end of the Eastern Conference Finals. And yeah, that was a very surreal experience. Um, just first and foremost, staying healthy and, and being uh, very diligent and and having a routine to keep your mental health, but at the same time, your physical health. And I think that's that's the one thing that since this started, like Michael said, you know, being consistent, being consistent with your health. It, like I, I said to so many people, like we've all had rough days and, and not great days. And it's like a day that you're healthy. I know you don't maybe feel great, but you're not really causing any any uh, issues to anybody else. So that that's a good day that you get through. And then you know, in in the bubble itself, 
that was unique because it was just the Lakers and the Heat. So, yeah, there were some times, you know, coming back uh, from a game that we won and their bus was, you know, getting to the hotel at the same time our bus was getting there. And, and, and you walk side by side with, and everyone's looking at each other and we're happy and they're not. And then there was the same thing that happened on the other end where, where we were not happy and you go straight to your room and they're hanging out in the lobby. But, yeah, just communicating to our team and the players during the bubble um, was was a, was a challenge. Um, like I said, I pride myself on human relationships. I pride myself on being who I am and 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 being able to communicate uh, to people. And and I had to evolve. You know, we've all um, are kidding ourselves if we said we did Zoom before this or we did you know Microsoft Teams or we didn't. It, it, you know, I had to talk with Andre Iguodala about it right when he came down uh, in his experience with Zoom. Uh, uh, before this all started. And um, it's pretty amazing uh, how efficient you can be. You know, you don't, I, my advice is I tell people don't schedule five Zooms in a day or four uh, calls in a day, you're going to burn yourself out. And, and, and I think it was funny how sometimes phone calls turned into Zooms during the phone call. Um, so it was all a learning curve. Uh, and it was pretty cool to get Pat Riley on it. And, and get people that have never FaceTimed or do things like that. So there was definitely a learning curve, but communicating to the folks in the bubble, listen, routine was everything. And, and that's why I think our, our team succeeded so much. We, we love routine. We love regimen. We kind of love wearing the same stuff every day. We love doing the same thing every day, eating the same thing, uh, getting on the bus at the same time. We're, we're very routine. So I think um, we, we, you have to find your place. If you know someone does a walk at, at five o'clock, maybe that's the time to call them. If you know there's practice, if you schedule is important. And I think whatever job or whatever, whoever's listening right now, whatever you're doing, or even if you don't currently have a job, you need a, a routine to pretend you have a job. Like, so maybe your nine to five is trying to get the job and trying to uh, find uh, you're someone who's going to mentor you from nine to five. And I think that was the greatest thing about the bubble is, is reinventing yourself, like Michael said, and, and figuring out a way, how can we do this? Because if you think you're just going to do the same thing uh, that you've been doing all along, you, you're kidding yourself. You know, it was about really trying to figure out a way how to reinvent, reinvent what, what you've done. It takes so much discipline. I just, it just takes me back to high school uh, and, you know, here's the, the Laker bus, here's the heat bus, and you kind of give everybody that dirty look. I know you probably gave LeBron a dirty look, Steve. You don't have to say it on the show. Uh, I'm protected. No, well, but, well, you know, I, I'll tell you some story. I mean, so we all have masks on. Uh, I know them. They know me. Um, executives, you know, agents, you know, I, I was guilty of not saying hello at first because you don't want to talk because of you want to socially distance. And you're getting tested every day. And then after a while, you, you do talk to each other and, 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 and see what's going on. And, and I've made some really nice friends, um, maybe that I wasn't as close with uh, before, because it's the same. We, someone loses, someone wins. You know, players on their team could be players on our team. And, and we're, it, we're like getting back to how we started. We are all the same. We're all the same. That's it. And, and I think it was just an experience that um, – hopefully won't happen again we want to get back in buildings and and play the real way um but the, the kudos to the players to play the way they did because mm -hmm. to play like michael said when you don't have a building of twenty thousand fans 
watching it on TV, I felt like Michael's shirt right there. That, that That's one moment in my professional career where I actually jumped out of my couch like crazy because of Bam out of bio. And when we watch games, we, we sit here, we act professional. And But that was a moment in my house that I acted like I've never acted before. So for the fact that these guys played as intense as they did with no fans there, mm. that's a credit to them because it's not so easy to play at that level when you have 40 people watching. No doubt. And, and Michael, the NBA was a class of the field. Speaking of that shirt, Michael, I see only the – I see just the hand. Can you just get oh, – it is. Oh, man. There you go, brother. That's an iconic uh, and moment. I think a whole lot of people jumped out of their seats. Uh, I mean, across the world, like, I think it was Magic Johnson that had mentioned, he said, you know what, I, I think I'm quoting Magic, I think I'm quoting the proper person. He said, man, uh, that is classic. Uh, and intensity, professionalism, and love of the game. Speaking of the game and the brand, the National Basketball Association. Uh, and again, you got NFL, you got NCAA, you got all this other stuff, other professional leagues and collegiate uh, associations. But the class of the field with this bubble concept, Michael, and how the love of the game, and I tell you what, personally as a sports fan, being able to have something to watch on TV other than the reruns, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and so obviously the, the Michael Jordan uh, series only had, you know, that was, that was what, 10 weeks? With something to do in terms of basketball, but I'm just thankful as a sports fan. So, Michael, what was it like from your perspective through the marketing lens and as an executive in the sport? Well, you know, the interesting thing is that the NBA, um, and you mentioned all the other the other leagues, you know, the NBA really kind of set out to do a couple of things. First of all, create a safe, healthy environment. That, I mean, everything that they did, that was always number one. So if it wasn't going to fall in those buckets, it wasn't going to happen. And once they got those protocols down, it was really about how can we create an environment, as Steve mentioned, where the players were going to give, you know, 110%. And from a, a, a presentation standpoint, we can create an environment where that, that made it feel for them and the people watching at home, made you feel like you were watching a game in regular circumstances. And I think all of us at some point got caught, so caught up in what we were watching, we didn't realize that they're in a place where... 40 people were watching. And I heard from people like Steve and, and our uh, basketball executives who said like, those games started feeling like regular games in full arenas. And that's just like the sensory um, environment that the league was able to create with, you know, the, the, the crowd noise and, and um, you know, the, the signage and the virtual fans, which was a whole nother thing all by itself, where, you know, you could create this environment where the players really felt like, hey, this this kind of feels real. And you get those kind of efforts. You get this block at the end of a game in the playoffs. You know, you, you, you get those kinds of efforts because the players really felt like they were in an environment that was conducive to them playing at the highest level. Their safety was, was not an issue. Their health was not an issue. Their, you know, nutrition, you know, all that was not an issue. The NBA took that off the table, making it so they could concentrate and focus on what they do best. And then around the edges, we could fill in uh, and create the environment and, and bring our fans into the fold. And, you know, we had one content person who was, uh, who was uh, lucky enough to be there, Tariq Pierce, and he was just capturing everything. I mean, they treated him just like he was part of the team. And so we're able to capture all that and bring it back to our fans. So, you know, from a, from a marketing standpoint, we were able to, to let our fans know what it was like to live in the bubble, but more importantly, like how our players were 
competing in the bubble at such a high level. And with that, uh, let's go back to the court uh, in the bubble when you had the world's attention. Uh, and so, Michael, when I think about uh, just a game during this time, it was more than just two teams on a court. But the messaging, the very clear social justice messaging, it was more than a game on so many levels. Uh, and as I think about that, uh, even on the uniforms, the messaging, uh, tell us about that process because, I mean, there's people listening. And you talk about take, seizing an opportunity, and it might have made a lot. I've heard people say, uh, you know, hey, I just want to watch a basketball game. I don't want to see messages like that. But there is a very, not only from the league standpoint, the association, but from the Miami Heat brand. Tell us about that process of creating the social justice messaging in the midst of an athletic competition. Well, you know, again, <clears throat> I've worked for the NBA in different capacities now. This is my 34th season in the, in the league. So the league has always been one in which it tried to use its platform for the greater good. Um, and, you know, our, our players have done that. Uh, other teams' players have done that. But the league as a whole has recognized its position. It's, it's, and it's different than the other, uh, the other leagues in that um, we're very kind of pop culture um, infused. And we have a huge youthful audience that follows us. You know, we're the number one league on social media by far of any of the United States professional sports teams. Our players um, in United States sports have the biggest, biggest followings worldwide brands, you know, playing our game. And so we knew we had an opportunity to speak to a large group of people and particularly younger fans. Um, so we want to take the opportunity to use that as a, as a messaging platform. And the players were adamant. Players were adamant that we took this opportunity. If they were going to go play, because a lot of guys didn't want to go play because they thought they were going to lose the opportunity to use their voice at this moment in time where it was really necessary. And so from the league standpoint and from our standpoint, we said, look, you guys go do your job. You go do your thing. We will make sure that we don't lose your message. We don't lose the momentum. And we made that promise, that pledge to our players that we were going to speak on their behalf. And we were going to keep them informed. We're going to keep them involved. We're going to keep them engaged. So you knew what we were doing all the time. So you didn't have to worry about whether or not we were squandering this opportunity because we didn't, you know, so the, the league was smart. They gave the players the opportunity to put social justice messages on their Jersey, um, social justice, black lives matter messaging on the court, um, vid uh, video vignettes throughout every game. Um, it, it was, it was clear if you were watching this, these games, where the NBA stood and how we were going to use our platform and our voice uh, to speak up for social justice and social change and for voting. Uh, and, and we did that. And it was a very consistent message. And, you know, look, again, I've been in this league for a long time. I don't know that I've ever been prouder of our group collectively, of our team individually, uh, than I have been these past, you know, seven, eight, nine months, um, just to see the amount of commitment financially, uh, emotionally, um, structurally, that, that the Miami Heat and the NBA have put forth in this particular effort. Incredible. I could ask you some, a funny marketing question. Who made the decision as to what fans would be the virtual fans in the stands, Michael, for a Heat home game 
Was that you and your team or did the NBA have, I mean, how'd that, how'd that occur? And who was the funniest one you put up there? Well, I'm, I'm, I will spare you all the virtual fan background because it was a very difficult and arduous process. But when it looked at, when you looked at it in the game, wow, that looked like really fun and easy. It was none of those things. Uh, you know, we had a lot of fun with it. We had, you know, DJ Khaled, you know, we had Chris Bosh show up. We had Dwayne Wade show up. You know, all that stuff was fun, you know, but I think just the general fans who, um, you know, most of those fans were our season ticket members who really wanted a chance to, to be part of the game. And so we opened it up to our season ticket members. And, and those are the folks who really got into it. You know, we had people dressing up as nuns. We had real nuns. Uh, we had people bringing goats. Uh, we had people with pots and pans. Like we, we had Heat Nation represented there in the virtual fan area. And to me, it was, it was awesome every game to tune it in. And behind the scenes, like we were, we were getting those people engaged as if they were at a game. You know, Michael Biamonte, our PA announcer, was talking to all those fans and he was in the room with all those people. Uh, Dale, our, our Inarita host, you know, our, our hoop troop. All those people that you would normally see at a heat game, they were all behind the scenes in the virtual fan room. So for those fans, it was just like a game. So, you know, we, we tried to create that environment and we tried to create that atmosphere. The players couldn't hear those fans, but they could see them. And we wanted to make sure our, our players saw our fans engaged and gave us a little home court advantage, even though we weren't at home. Incredible. Incredible. Bravo. Uh, and Steve, there, you know, Michael talked about uh, the messaging uh, uniforms, court, uh, the, the experience uh, for Heat Nation and for sports fans worldwide. But there are still folks who, in the midst of, you know, getting comfortable being uncomfortable, are like, you know what? I'm in the shut up and dribble category. I just want to turn on the TV and watch a game. Uh, and all the social justice stuff, do that somewhere else. But, I, but the Heat have a, a statement on social justice, uh, Steve, what is that? Yeah, we do. I mean, I was fortunate early on to have some real raw conversations with Udonis Haslam virtually, um, you know, and hearing him right away and, and seeing how passionate he was right away. Like Michael said, I was like, all right, UD, you, you go do whatever you have to do. I'm gonna be your voice for now you know, and, and when I need you, I'm going to need you. And that's the brotherhood where, you know, we've known each other and he trusts me and I trust him and we still need to lean on him, you know, we, and we've leaned on him. So when that started and, and Michael so eloquently, you know, drafted our, our pledge and, and, you know, internally met so many times before it was released, you know, publicly. And like Michael said, thoroughly, just thoroughly went through it all. And then realize that that we do have a uh, platform that's way bigger than words, like I mentioned earlier. And Udonis has them being our captain and um, not having anything to do with politics, just having to do with this city and having to do with this community and realizing that we've been doing all of this from the first day anyone's hired at the heat, we're doing it, whether it's internally in our offices, whether it's externally in the community, we do these things already, but how can we now do it virtually? And how can we now do it with social distance in mind? And number first and foremost, um, being safe from COVID-19. So I think those were challenges early on that the social justice pledge um, doesn't say in there, 
but that's number one that what we all have the uh, responsibility to do is to stay safe and, and healthy. So with that being said, I mean, I had a, uh, at a moment, Michael probably doesn't even realize that we were standing underneath a, a stairwell at, a, at an event where we were donating food to a Miami-Dade public school and it was raining and Michael was wet and I was wet and we had masks and I couldn't even hear what he was saying. He couldn't even hear what I was saying. And we had a moment there when I said to myself, this isn't, this is enough. I, I had my, this is enough moment because we could give food. I, we could donate food and write checks from here till forever. I mean, and I want to. And there's a need and I hope it goes away, but, but it's not. And, and that, that's what we're good at. We, we did it yesterday. Um, we, we do it every day, but that was a moment where I said to myself, uh, this is bigger than, than writing a check. This is, I have resources that I want to introduce Michael to, and I want to work with Michael on this and I want to bring everybody in. And we, I can't see another George Floyd video. I, 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 I can't, I can't now. And I, couldn't then and I said I don't care what my job is at the heat I don't care what my role is I'm in a position where I want to help and and I can't do this anymore we have to come together and, and we did um, and, and we really formulated a program that's gonna save lives it's going to we haven't even started it yet and yesterday um, like I, I referred to our Thanksgiving annual celebration that we did in Wynwood and it's my favorite day of the year where we're giving out food and, and to those people in need. And I haven't even shared this with Michael yet. And, and a police officer came up to me, Perez, Officer Perez. And he said, thank you. And I said, thank you for your service. And he said, I met you at the training, the pilot training program in September that at the Miami Police Department. That's what it's about. He, he, he was working our event. I, we didn't schedule him. I didn't know him I, Perez officer Perez if he's out there he knows and and he came up to me in his in his car and guess what I wasn't scared he wasn't scared of me and that and that's what Michael and I under that stairwell in the rain getting soaked uh started because that was a time where I saw it in Michael's eyes and I saw the fear and I had the same fear and I still have uh that same passion that I did that day um, but now it's it's action. And now when, when you're at an event and somebody comes up to you and says, thank you. And we haven't even done anything yet, I, in my opinion. Like we've just formulated this and, and worked towards it. So now this is going to be somebody. And I keep using that officer Perez as an example, because I think that four hour training session changed him to where he could come up to me. And whereas maybe he wouldn't have in the past. And now I have a relationship with him. We exchange phone numbers for for no reason other than because he's a friend like he's and that's how it should be and it's not whether you're a heat player in a uniform it's not whether your executive is not whether you're a police officer with a badge we're all the same it's not your bigs your littles that's what i want um this society and this community which we we have such a a role now is everybody has to be an active participant in what they're doing to make this community better no matter what you're doing and and, and that's really a testament of that social justice pledge and everything falls under that umbrella well I, guess what brothers the next one next podcast we do together is going to be in the rain uh and <laughs> we'll just have some umbrellas so we don't have any uh <laughs> we didn't have an umbrella michael, <laughs> did, michael didn't have an umbrella so it had nothing <laughs> I'll, I'll take care. I'll take care of Brother Michael. Uh, now, Michael, you are an alumni big brother. 
Uh, and just a very quick shout out. Do a quick shout out to your littles. And what are they doing these days so that everybody knows the impact of what you've done as a professional? Well, we'll go. We'll, we'll start with the most recent one because I just saw him just the other day, Donovan Bowens. Uh, my little who just graduated is uh, he works over at the Publix in my neighborhood right downtown. Um, but but he uh, he came up to me just the, again. I, I walked into Publix and, and I saw him there and I always go right up and talk to him. And he's super excited. He's like, man, I'm, I'm just about to call you because he's trying to get into the firefighters academy. And he had his interview and uh, he said the, uh, the gentleman asked him why he wanted to be a firefighter. And he said, because I want little kids in my neighborhood to look up to me and see that they too can, can work in their community and give back to their community. And I was like, that's game over. That's it. The four years I spent with Donovan, that, that was the payoff right there. That, that was the payoff. Uh, so uh, going back to my, my very first little, uh, I, don't, I, can't, I can't show you some of the stuff I have here, but, but Gene, my first little Gene Vilpin, who's just, a, just an awesome young man, uh, but he's, he's now the band instructor at, at Miami Beach High. And um, he was all about music, but he was so scattershot when I first met Gene. We got him focused. He earned the scholarship. He went to uh, FAMU. He got his master's at FSU. And now, again, he's back in his hometown working with kids. And it's fantastic. And my, my, my little in the middle, David Javier, is now at F FIU. He sends me his grades the second they come out. He's like, Michael, here's my grades. Here's my report card. He's doing fantastic. He's got like a 3.4 GPA. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we talk. He, he comes to heat games with me. Uh, this experience as a big has just been phenomenal that you can have this kind of impact on the lives of these kids uh, who need that kind of mentorship or that kind of guidance or there's that kind of friendship at that time in their life. And, you know, little do you know, but like you said before, uh, Gail, they're all, they're all watching you and they're picking up on these things from you and they're gaining confidence in themselves through you. You know, so, um, you know, if there are people out there who are listening, who are questioning whether or not they should become a big or what's the what's in it for them. You no, know, man, what's in it for them? What's in it for you? Isn't isn't what's in it for you It's what you can do for them. And then you just get the residual benefit because you see these young men and young women that's just thriving and growing, you know, just just some really fantastic opportunities. You should be a marketer, Michael. Join the team. Uh, ignite. <laughs> you can't ignite without a flame. And when you have a flame, you have heat, baby. Yes, there you so go. Back the power and promise of our youth. Join the team. Become a big BBBSMiami.org and say, Michael McCullough sent me. Uh, and it's all good. And maybe one day down the road, we, you and your big can go to a heat game. Uh, you and your little can go to a heat game. That's how we roll. So the real big three, I was joking earlier, but I'm talking about big brothers, big sisters. Carnival and the Miami Heat. And Michael, you are also a part of the illustrious Fantastic Four. Also known as, shout out to Linda and Vicky Ray. I think Linda's listening in as well, Michael. So make sure you're on your best behavior so we can stay on uh, Linda's team. Uh, and But as part of that Carnival Scholarship Committee, you mentioned scholarship. So now you got your, your littles, and thank you for your service as a big brother. You know how I feel about you in that sense, brother, period. Uh, and so you got somebody working full-time uh, in this community, you know, going to becoming a first responder, a teacher, uh, literally making beautiful music. And you're the music man. I'm checking out the albums over your shoulder. I see a little <laughs> wonder. I see a little old school Prince. 
1999. My goodness, brother. Uh, so all I can say is uh, you and your littles make beautiful music together, literally. Uh, and so, but what we see, Michael, when those littles sit before the committee, the scholarship committee, and we got a lot of Kleenex there, as you know, because they tell their stories. So here we are talking about racism and the humanity and decency that's needed from every individual. But these kids deal with so many challenges, trials and tribulations. Uh, what's your message to all the littles out there, Michael, in terms of just how they continue to cope and deal with our current reality? Well, you know, those, you mentioned the, the scholarship uh, ceremony and the scholarship judging committee. Those two days are, are probably the two best days of the year for me every year, because it's, it's a reaffirmation of, like you said, humanity. You have these kids that are sitting there and the conditions under which they have to live just to go to school, just to do some of the, the simple basic things of life um, and, and how they've overcome all those challenges. And they're sitting in front of us because they've thrived to the point where they are eligible to receive a full ride four-year scholarship. You know, I mean, come on, what, what, what more could you possibly need to see that, you know, your time with kids matters, um, you know, your focus on today's youth. If you're involved with the youth in any capacity, if you're a teacher, if you're an administrator, if you're a uh, pastor, you know, if you're touching kids along the way and helping them grow and they sit in front of us, and they're able to clearly tell their story in an emotional and a moving way. Um, it, it's, th those two days are just, just really phenomenal. I can't really put it into words what it means to see those kids. Um, and then to see them again with their parents on the day when we award them the scholarship and the, the pride and the joy on the face of these parents um, is just immense. The room is just a glow with pride. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing to be a part of. So uh, I'm, I'm glad I get to be a part of that. It, it, it's a wonderful day. It's a difficult day. Uh, it's a day that I always come home and I you know, used to yell at my kids when they were younger, like, you guys don't know how well you have it. And you don't ever not take advantage of an opportunity. You know, don't take things for granted because there are other people who don't have what you have and they are making the best of what they have. And these kids are spectacular. No question. And I think in a word, Michael, resilient. How about that? Uh, and, and having said that, and just for the record, because inquiring minds want to know, a uh, shout out to Linda Cole and Vicky Ray, as I said, but I'm not the meanest one at the table for, on the Fantastic Four. Michael, can you go ahead and dispel that myth publicly or live? You're, you're not the meanest one at the table, Gail, but what inevitably happens in, in, this, in these meetings is Gail will ask the question that prompts the tears. And it's not because he's being mean, but because he's so intuitive and he knows what's lurking right beneath the surface with all these kids, he's able to ask the question that gets them to open up and share with us. And that's what, the, that's what we need to hear. Gail's just really good at asking that question. My eyes not mean. He's not mean. Thank you, brother. So Linda, wherever you are, I'm not mean. I just told, I got, it's, I'm like a scout. I, my eyes don't lie. I know what I'm looking at and we got to go a little deeper than the surface. Yes. Good stuff, Michael. Now, now, Steve, you mentioned uh, in terms of law enforcement, Big Brothers, Big Sisters is privileged to work with so many uh, municipalities and law enforcement uh, agencies and professionals. 
We're pending a partnership with the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. That's going to be a powerhouse partnership. Uh, and we're also sharing that with our sister affiliates in Palm Beach, Martin counties and Broward County. Just to, I mean, again, stay tuned, everybody, for some breaking news on that. But I just kind of put it out there. So it's, I guess it's no longer breaking news, Michael. Uh, but nevertheless, I'm just too excited about it. But so we have a bigs and blue program. You know, we talk about Michael being a big brother. We have big brothers and big sisters who put on that uniform every day and protect our community. And they are the first ones to tell me. I've talked to all the chiefs. The, wor the worst thing they have to deal with is a bad cop. And so, uh, and so having said that, our matches in bigs and blue, we match to build mutual trust and respect, specifically within the black and brown communities. Uh, and so we're so thankful. And I, I will go ahead and take time out right now to thank all of the allies out there, to thank all the men and women in uniform who have signed up and stepped up to become a big brother or big sister. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We know the vast majority of our men and women in uniform. Do not uh, seek to brutalize or harm our community. You keep us safe every day. And for that, we love you and we thank you for that. Uh, Steve, what you mentioned law enforcement and a program uh, that uh, you and Michael are working together on and with training. Tell us more about what the Miami Heat's doing in the space of law enforcement and training. Well, we partnered with uh, Dedication to Community an outside company that has experience in this field that, that has been doing this for many years. And then uh, the city of Miami police department, which is the department where we, the city where we play in um, has a really large police department that many of us in South Florida interact with every day. So we've pledged to train uh, right now, there are 900 patrol officers starting in January in a setting that really is going to, teach human relationships. It's also going to teach reconciliation, but uh, first and foremost, you know, really to engage the community and have law enforcement also take part in evolving and understanding the, the sensitivities that are needed out there now, because law enforcement uh, are conflicted just as much as the community members are now. And uh, we have a few pockets in city of Miami, uh, specifically Model City, Overtown, and Coconut Grove, just to name uh, those three, where um, there's some issues in these communities that, that can be rectified before they even get to the point of, of law enforcement being involved. And, and most importantly, it, it comes to relationship building. And if we can um, take an experience uh, to the community through us, and you, like that logo, that mark that people see makes them feel so many things when they see that heat logo right away. It just gives them that feeling. This is an extension of that where maybe there's a four-year-old in Model City that has an amazing experience with a police officer like I did yesterday. Um, and then maybe they go on and want to be uh, working law enforcement like in your, your program. Exactly. So I think it's it's about building together and, and realizing, you know, an officer puts his pants on the same way I do every day and um, they have a job to do and, and we have a job to do. And, and not everybody is perfect at their jobs. And I try to get better every day. I, I still coach Spose, you know, 1% better motto every day, as you know about that, Gail, is, is, is we all try and get better at what we're doing. And if you don't try and get better at what you're doing every day, then you're just going to 
you know, flat line and eventually decrease, whether it's uh, physical fitness, whether it's mental health, which I alluded to in the past, um, it's very important now more than ever to take this time. And I think that's what we're doing with the, the police department. I've received so many calls and I know Michael has from my counterparts saying, how did you do this? And what are you doing? And we want to do this. And, and I know we're onto something and different markets are having different issues. We're fortunate in South Florida to have uh, a wonderful, vibrant, diverse community as as we all know uh, so well. So I think this program is going to be something that's gonna be groundbreaking. We have some of our heat partners involved in it as well. And I'm just excited to see what's gonna happen. And, and even talking with our players, they wanna be involved too. And, and, and they feel so proud. Udonis is so proud about this program and he's been in the bubble all, all summer with it. And, and he hasn't even put his toe in it yet. So I just can't wait to see how all of this really uh, becomes bigger and manifests itself and, and to the point that uh, it's a natural feeling for people to, to know that we're all in this together and reconciliation is, is that key word. Um, you use resiliency, I'll use reconciliation and it's about getting past what's happened in the past but learning from it you know, and, and educating yourself um, on how this community can help one another. Well, I'll tell you what, I applaud you all for that. Michael, go ahead, you wanna add something to that? No, I just want to say that that this this program is really special, and, it, and it's got the buy-in from you know Chief Colina, Assistant Chief Goss. You know that the head people at Miami PD are the ones who are the biggest cheerleaders for this program. And when you have something like that, the people at the top who are enthusiastically raising their hands to say, "I want our group to participate. We want to be better at what we do. We're good. We're taking the steps to be good. We know we can be better, and we want to be better." That's that's half the battle. And so, you know, Steve and I sat in on these training sessions in the pilot program. And for me, it was, you know, I, I, I just loved watching it. I mean, I sat behind this, this gentleman who was a 34-year veteran. He's a detective. And I saw him when he came into the training program and I could read his body language. He wasn't interested in being there. Slouching, not paying attention on his phone. But as the program developed, as the day went on, he sits up higher in his chair, puts his phone down. He's taking notes. When there's a chance for people to be called on, he's raising his hand. And at the end of the session, he's like, that's the best training program I've been through in my 34 years as a de detective. And that's what we want to try to bring. We want to try to bring tools that help the police officers do their job uh, better, acknowledges the challenges that they have. We're never going to try to tell the police officers how to do their job. We said that from day one. But what we want to be able to do is use our position as a Miami Heat and that unique position that we have as a in our community to be the bridge between law enforcement and the community. And that's what, that's what Steve and I and our organization are trying to do right now. Well, I applaud you all. And, and again, it just goes without saying, but I want to say it for the record, count us in with our bigs and blue program. Imagine having a training where you got bigs, littles, escalation, de-escalation. Uh, and I think it's a perfect plug and play. Uh, so as you all move forward, I know you did the pilot, but please include us as you move forward with that training, because I can see a nice, imagine a training camp for those bigs, littles, and we can have a little fun with that too, uh, virtually or socially distant, whatever the case may be. So that is excellent. We can't have enough of that. And I will say this, gentlemen, uh, right across the hall from where I'm sitting right now, there's a flag in my office that was given to my mother, Los Angeles County Deputy Sheriff Gary Claypool, my mentor, uh, and his flag sits in my office. Uh, and so when I spoke at his funeral, and you saw out in Southern California, and every branch of law enforcement with a flyover as I was speaking, standing over his flag draped casket, 
So it's deep. It's personal with me when it comes to law enforcement and making sure. Because that man taught me how to catch a football, put those triangle up, uh, catch a football, basketball, same rules apply. And it all goes back to mentorship from a law enforcement officer that gave his life uh, to keep the community safe. So brothers, I'm all in on that. So I had to, I got to stop talking because that, that, that was not, that was totally off script, but that's real and raw because that's how the three of us roll. Speaking of uh, rolling and the heat culture, uh, Michael, uh, I heard that the season we just finished in the bubble and the bubble is no more. There's a new season starting. Tell us about that and what fans can expect, not only Heat Nation, but fans around the world. Well, you, you know, we, we did. We, it feels like we just finished and we can't wait to get started again. Season's going to start uh, sometime for us around December 22nd. We're not exactly sure of the date. We hope to get a schedule here very shortly. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're back at it. You know, we're back at it. We never really stopped. Uh, so from a from a marketing standpoint, you know, we've got some exciting things going on um, and we can't wait to get our fans back into the arena. I mean, that's our goal. Our goal is to get people back in the building. Uh, and we are not the sole um, arbiters of how that happens or when that happens, but that's what we're working towards is creating an environment that is safe um, and the protocols that are safe that encourage people to come back into the building. So that's what we're working towards. Uh, we're, we're looking to launch our season and get people excited about this heat team just drafted a great a, a kid that just looks like he has you know heat cultures running through his veins uh baby udonis baby bam whatever you want to call this kid precious but man that, that's a heat player right there you know uh so we're excited we, we cannot wait to get going and december 22nd can't get here fast enough as far as i'm concerned because i need some more heat basketball Precious has some good big brothers on the team already because, I mean, he's, like you said, baby Bam, baby U, UD. I mean, wow. He's coming to a great situation and a great culture. So we wish Precious the best and congratulations uh, and, and welcome to Miami. Uh, no doubt about that. Uh, as we think about, uh, you know, heat culture, uh, if you will, and we look forward to the season. Uh, will there be, and you don't, don't tease us, Michael, but tease, don't tease us too much. But will there be a new video as people come back in? Are you, I mean, you're the architect and you're, you're an incredible team because, I mean, pregame, you know, you always never disappoint with the music, with the experience. So I'm sure you're putting some things together along those lines. Absolutely. You know, we, we always have something up our sleeve for our fans. And they, they've come to expect that kind of experience when they come to the games. And when they come to the games, they're going to get a Miami Heat experience, which is different than any other experience when you go to any other NBA venue. So, yeah. We got, uh, we got special things. We got interesting things. We're working in a different environment now. We're in a pandemic. You know, we can't really kind of engage with our guys the way that we used to, but that's not going to stop us from putting together the type of experience, type of show our fans are used to seeing. So we're excited to get to get things going. And you know, I, I'm not a reporter, but this, I'm not seeing it. I'm GSN. But do you want to tease anybody with anything? You know, inquire no. about no, brother? No, 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 no. I know you do. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to get that inside scoop. I ain't gonna give it to you right now, uh, but we got we got we got some stuff. We got some stuff. Everybody, Heat Nation, we we got you. We got you, Heat Nation. I love it. I didn't expect anything else. I had to try, brother. I had to try. <laughs> uh, Steve, my man, Stowe. Uh, and we've talked about mentoring. We've talked about Heat culture, uh, and we're gonna close things out as we partner with the Heat on so many different levels. And I just have to say, on behalf of all the bigs and littles uh, here in Miami. Uh, the Miami Heat Charitable Foundation has been just an incredible uh, stalwart partner in helping us in so many uh, different arenas and certainly 
I uh, thank you and the leadership uh, at the Heat uh, for just your ongoing commitment to the cause and the impact of mentoring. Michael talked about three examples, but there's thousands of examples. So thank you for that. I just got to ask you, because I know Michael's mentoring story. Uh, he's been on the podcast before and incredible, what led him to the NBA. And here we are 34 years later, he still got that baby face. So mentoring works for complexion and everything else. But Steve, <laughs> who mentored you, brother? And what did they teach you? Great question. And, and thanks for the kind words too, because we, we want to continue this partnership and grow it and make it even bigger and uh, really tweak it to where we're, we're doing, you know, even more important things than we've had the past five years. So um, stay tuned with that. Um, God, I've had so many mentors. I've been really, really fortunate over the years uh, from coaches to teachers to community members, so many. Um, but, but, but I have to say my, my mom and my dad, uh, they're, they're very quiet. They're, uh, they're very behind the scenes. You don't mess with them. And uh, they, they, they were not in the military, but my dad really should have been in the military because I was raised very, very uh, strict. And, and, you know, that's something that, um, like you said, people see, kids see. You can't teach that. You can't, words about being punctual and, and, and those characters are not uh, taught, they're seen. And I think I never saw my dad a lot growing up because he was always working and, and, and I knew he was working and, and I would wake up in the morning, he wasn't there. And that was normal for me and uh, my mom too, to see her work. And um, I think that's taught me my work ethic at a young age to get started. And then the various odd jobs that I've had um, and, and even some mentors that weren't great at what they did, but kind of taught me how not to be. And I'll leave those names out, but but I did learn a lot from people that 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 got me growing up in Miami. I saw a lot of things here, and and whether you talk about racism or uh, you know prejudices, I saw a lot of things on how not to be. Um, so so yeah, I, 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 it really is true about the village and and having people around you. But my parents were the ones that really instilled that that hard work, and um, and then so fortunate here uh, to be around an organization like Michael's talked about and to have Pat, uh, you know, the motivation ahead all the time and to predict the future and, and to predict next steps, I think is key. And he, he's the best at that. And, and I think being around him has really professionally taught me when um, the Harrison family had to be classy and, and how to, like Michael said, be thorough and be thought out and not get emotional with this business because um, I think emotions are easy. Uh, we all have them and it's about, you know, processing them and it's okay to have emotions. But I think in business, um, having someone that you can talk to maybe outside of your world and as a mentor is, is important. And, and I think that's why we love what you do. And so I've had so many people uh, and I'm very fortunate for that. And, and I think uh, uh, recognizing people in your life is key too. It doesn't have to be someone who's, who's above you or it could be someone below you that can inspire you just the same. So I think I'll leave you with this is being able to recognize somebody in your life and learn from that person and listen, listen beautifully like we've learned in our training is something that I think is key because a mentor is not going to come knock on your door and say, I'm your mentor. 
you know? So uh, it's about seeing who that person is and learning how to fit what you love about them into your own personal life. Well, I tell you what, gentlemen, this has been a pleasure for me uh, and to thank you is not enough. doesn't seem, it, it seems so uh, <laughs> insignificant to talk about the Miami Heat as an organization uh, from the Arisons, the leadership, uh, the, the strategy of the Godfather, Pat Riley, uh, the tenacity of Coach Spoh, who's been a guest uh, and has just been so humble uh, and just warm uh, to, I mean, obviously both of you and certainly Woolworth and shout out to Matt Jafari, Matthew Jafari as well. Uh, we just love you guys. I mean, just heat culture. Uh, and we are blessed to be here in Miami. There's other teams in the league, but there's only one Miami Heat. And we're in a championship mentality. Uh, see, winning is a mentality, and you all have it. That's why we win championships. Gentlemen, brothers, man, I, I love you, and I appreciate what you all are doing, taking time out to chat with me for this hour. As Michael said earlier, if you're on the sidelines, it's time to get in the game. Because in the game of life, everybody makes the team, but how you play is up to you. Have a great Thanksgiving, gentlemen, and all the best to you and your families. That's a wrap. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Appreciate you.